All right, now tell me about these skateboarders. Yeah, what I was saying is um, it's these guys called, it's called Shy Guy Seeps or Shy Guys Eeps. I don't really know. Um, But dude, these guys are, I mean, they're insane. They like go down these massive, like in the middle, like the video that I just sent you, there is this dude on a skateboard and he's just, I mean, he's probably going 60 miles an hour, literally, down, like, a hill like you would think of in, like, mm. San Francisco. In the in the yeah. middle of the rain, with leaves all over the road, and just fearless. And then you start thinking, wait a minute, how, are, how am I seeing this? And then you see the cam- cameraman, who's doing the exact same thing, turn the camera on himself. Dude. It's just, like... That stuff's crazy, I, man. Like, I mean, do you remember, like, whenever you'd go down a hill? Oh, the, the shakes? Uh, when you were a kid and that thing starts yeah. wobbling back and forth, you get the wobbles. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Bail! And you just, like, the first time you do that, you don't realize, you, you in your mind, you think, okay, basically, when I jump off the skateboard. Yeah, I'll be fine. I'll just be, it'll just be, I'll land on the ground. <laughs> that's it. But you don't understand physics yeah. yet. And so when you jump, you don't realize that all that momentum you had traveling on the skateboard. Oh, yeah. You can't just come to a complete mm-hmm. stop, and then you just bite the pavement. Yeah, I also had a um, a little story when I was a kid. Um, so we lived, I mean, I feel like I haven't said this in a while, but it's almost a drinking game at this point. But I lived in a rural area, um, and my cousin had a, a four-wheeler that he brought over to the house. And I was like a huge, into, really big into skateboarding at the time. Um, and it was like, oh man, this is, th- why have we never thought of this? I'm just going to hang on to a dog chain oh, no. tied around the four-wheeler. And mm-hmm. I kept, because it was like a dog chain, so we tried it a few times. Uh, because it was a dog chain, it kept kind of like slipping out of my hand. So I was like, oh, I got this. I'm going to pull my sleeve down. Then I'm going to wrap the dog chain around my wrist. So I can't mm-hmm. let go. So... Yeah. Safety yeah, first. safety first. We're, and we're getting a little, I'm getting a little more courageous, a little more courageous. So he just hauls it, uh, you know, just guns it on the four-wheeler. And everything's cool. We're, you know, that that uh, that little stretch between my house and then the, the top of my hill to my grandmother's house? Mm-hmm. We're just hauling it. And um, all of a sudden, uh, which is what I would imagine would happen to these guys eventually, uh, my skateboard hit a little tiny pebble. That's all and I go flying in the air, and I'm still connected to the four-wheeler. And so it, oh my it literally, uh, I slam into the ground, <laughs> and it's like, I mean, he, you know, it was probably, I don't know, it's probably only like two, three, four seconds before he realized it and then stopped the four-wheeler. But that was me dragging like both of my hands against the pavement oh for God. like three or four seconds and just... Just road rash, man. Tough. Man, I don't know why we're in the uh, skateboarding mood, but, I mean, you remember that movie Thrashing? Oh, yeah. It's been a while, but, yeah. The best, man. So mm-hmm. good. Oh, uh, what about um, Gleaming the Cube? Yeah, Gleaming the that Cube That was another good. good one. Christian Slater, and, uh, and of course, um, Tony Hawk makes an appearance in that oh, movie. Oh, yeah. And that was the one at the end when he gets, like, the really badass, like, all-black skateboard... Right? Was that the one I'm thinking of? Maybe, man. I don't. I don't he remember. gets like all black, like pads, and like the skateboard's all like matte black with black wheels. 
Isn't it cool that like the 80s made helmets and elbow and knee pads like cool? I mean, not really helmets per se, but. No, dude. I mean, like the, you got to go back and watch like thrashing. You know, the guys that were like on those, on those uh, vert mm-hmm. ramps, half pipes and stuff like that, man. In the in the competitions, you you know you had to have. Oh yeah. So it was just like, oh yeah, cool man. I gotta get one of those, <laughs> and you can put like cool stickers on it. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I guess now that you said like all the stickers on it, I do. Mm-hmm. I do remember that was pretty cool. All right. Well, are we uh, are we getting started, Bill? Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Abominable Snowman, Yeti, Yirin, Yowie, Sakuyatl, Sesquak, or even Orang Pendek. The details and names may differ slightly from place to place, but from North America to China, all the way to New Zealand and even Indonesia, there is one thing for certain. Something is out there. Whether they're described as being chocolate brown, white as a snowy blizzard, or even black as night, these hair-covered, upright standing creatures have been encountered and talked about across the globe for more than 600 years. There are endless interesting and intriguing encounters, but today we rewind the clock back to the summer of 1924. When a group of gold prospectors near Mount St. Helens in southern Washington named Fred Beck, Gabe Lefever, John Peterson, Marion Smith, and Smith's son Roy described coming upon and being attacked by guerrilla men near where they had built a small cabin for their gold hunting. Here are Fred Beck's own words describing the event in which he later recalled in a short book he wrote about the encounter called I Fought the Ape Men of Mount St. Helens. We had been prospecting for six years in the Mount St. Helens and Lewis River area in southwest Washington. We had from time to time come across large tracks by creek beds and springs. In 1924, I and four other miners were working our gold claim, the Vander White. It was two miles east of Mount St. Helens near a deep canyon now named Ape Canyon, which was so named after our encounter reached the newspapers. Hank, a great hunter and good woodsman, was always a little apprehensive after seeing these tracks. The tracks were large and we knew that no animal could have made them the largest measuring 19 inches long. It was in the middle of July, and we had received a good assay on our claim, and everyone was excited. I remember I had a tooth that was aching, and I suggested to Hank that he should take me down to see a dentist, but he was so enthused in the prospects of the gold mine, he barely took time to answer me. He replied that God or the devil could not get him away from there. 
We had all come up in his Ford, and I had no way to get to town unless he took me. So, when we went back to our cabin on the north side of the canyon, I had a nagging toothache and little appetite for our evening meal of beans and hotcakes. We had been hearing noises in the evening for about a week. We heard a shrill, peculiar whistling each evening. We would hear it coming from one ridge, and then hear an answering whistling from another ridge. We also heard a sound which I could best describe as a booming, thumping sound. Just like something was hitting itself on its chest. Hank asked me to accompany him to the spring about a hundred yards from our cabin to get some water and suggested we take our rifles to be on the safe side. We walked to the spring and then Hank yelled and raised his rifle. At that instant, I saw it. It was a hairy creature and he was about a hundred yards away on the other side of a little canyon standing by a pine tree. It dodged behind the tree and poked its head out from the side of the tree. And at the same time, Hank shot. The creature I judged to have been about seven feet tall with blackish brown hair. It disappeared from our view for a short time. But then we saw it, running fast and upright about 200 yards down the little canyon. I shot three times before it disappeared from view. We took the water back to the cabin and explained the affair to the rest of the party. And we all agreed, including Hank, to go home the next morning, as it would be dark before we could get to the car. We agreed it would be unsound to be caught by darkness on the way out. Nightfall found us in our pine log cabin. We had built the cabin ourselves and had made it very sturdy. In the cabin, we had a long bunk bed in which two could sleep feet to feet. The rest of us, though, sleeping on pine bows on the floor. At one end of the cabin, we had a fireplace fashioned out of rocks. There were no windows in the cabin, so darkness found all of us in the cabin. I was more calm now, and my tooth was better. Somehow the excitement seemed to work a temporary cure on it. We were sitting around, puffing on pipes, and talking about the trip home the next day. Each of us settled down in his crude but welcomed bed and soon fell asleep. About midnight, we were all awakened. Hank, who was sleeping on the floor, was yelling and kicking. But the noise that had awakened us was a tremendous thud against the cabin wall. Some of the chinking had been knocked loose from behind the logs and had fell across Hank's chest. He had his rifle in his hand and was waving it back and forth as he kicked and yelled. I helped to get the chinking off of him, and he jumped to his feet. Then, we heard a great commotion outside. It sounded like a great number of feet trampling and rattling over a pile of our unused shakes. We grabbed our guns. Hank squinted through the space left by the chinking. By actual account, we saw only three of the creatures together at one time, but it sounded like there were many more. They hurled many small rocks and stones at the cabin, but they did not break through the roof. Some did fall through the chimney of the fireplace. The only time we shot our guns that night was when the creatures were attacking our cabin. When they would quiet down for a few minutes, we would quit shooting. 
I told the rest of the party that maybe if they saw we were only shooting when they attacked, they might realize we were only defending ourselves. We did shoot, however, when they climbed up on our roof. We shot round after round through the roof. We had to brace the huge log door with a long pole taken from the bunk bed. The creatures were pushing against it and the whole door vibrated from the impact. We responded by firing many more rounds through the door. They pushed against the walls of the cabin as if trying to push the cabin over. Hank and I did most of the shooting. The rest of the party crowded to the far end of the cabin, guns in their hands. The attack continued the remainder of the night, with only short intervals in between. A most profound and frightening experience occurred when one of the creatures, being close to the cabin, reached an arm through the chinking space and seized one of our axes by the handle. Before the thing could pull the axe out, I swiftly turned the head of the axe upright so it caught on the logs, and at the same time Hank shot, barely missing my hand. The creature let go and I pulled the handle back in and put the axe in a safe place. The attack ended just before daylight. Just as soon as we were sure it was light enough to see, we came cautiously out of the cabin. It was not long before I saw one of the ape-like creatures standing about 80 yards away near the edge of Ape Canyon. It shot three times, and it toppled over the cliff, down to the gorge, some 400 feet below. Then Hank said that we should get out of there as soon as possible. Not bother to pack our supplies or equipment. After all, he said, it's better to lose them than our lives. We were only too glad to agree. We brought out only that which we could get into our pack sacks. We left about $200 in supplies, powder, and drilling equipment behind. I tried to persuade everyone not to relate the happenings to anyone, and they agreed. But Hank soon let the cat out of the bag. We made our way to Spirit Lake and Hank went into the ranger station. He had told the ranger earlier about the tracks and the ranger had replied, let me know if you find out what they are. And that's just what Hank did. When we were back home in Kelso, Washington, he told some of his friends and somehow the story leaked out to the papers and the great hairy ape hunt of 1924 was on. The site of the cabin is no longer known, but Ape Canyon continues to be a popular hiking destination, despite being significantly altered by the eruption of Mount St. Helens in 1980. And the legend of Fred Beck and his companions has lived on ever since. Although it's almost been a hundred years since this encounter, if you ever find yourself in Ape Canyon, sightseeing, or looking for Bigfoot himself, you might want to make sure you come prepared. Hey, all you cats and kittens. Welcome back to That Would Be Rad, your favorite podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. 
I'm your host, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other host, Woody Brown. Hey, man. Uh, quick question for you. So out of all the options we had, Harry and the Hendersons, campers and gold prospectors, <laughs> you went for cats and kittens. <laughs> I mean, it just didn't feel right. And that was just, it was off the cuff, mm-hmm. you know, it was like just a moment mm-hmm. of inspiration. So I just went with it. So this is it, man. This is the first Bigfoot episode. Sure is. Long overdue, really. I mean... Yeah, no, man. We talk about, um, you know, all things paranormal, but we really kind of like haven't really dove too heavy into that kind of stuff. I think a lot of it. So go ahead, sorry. No, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, I think a lot of it had to do with just... um, I don't know, maybe like a subconscious intimidation maybe just because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's clearly like one of the topics that both of us are really into. Um, mm-hmm. e- even though this this particular incident is um, is a little on the outskirts of, you know, the heavy hitters, I don't know, it's still a topic that um, it came with some intimidation because there's a lot that we want to do right by our listeners and get a lot of it right and uh, kick it off the way it should be kicked off. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many, there's so many different events. There's so many different, I don't know, um, encounters Mm -hmm. and stuff with Bigfoot. And like you said, like, you know, it's just one of those topics that it can very quickly, I don't know. I, I think, well, I think what's kind of one of the reasons why we even chose not only this specific event to talk about, but also just kind of got us back into, man, we got to talk about Bigfoot, was several months ago when we went and visited the Bigfoot Museum oh, here in Blue Ridge, Georgia. Dude, I totally didn't even think about that. that yeah, we were gonna... I mean, that's where, I mean, okay, full disclosure here, you know, I'm the one that's kind of, well, not kind of, I'm the one <laughs> in of the podcast who basically is just now getting into or re-getting into things like Bigfoot and the cryptids and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mainly fueled by, of course, you talking about it nonstop oh, over yeah. the years, mm-hmm. but also, you know, an interest in other podcasts and stuff like that. So it's kind of refueled that interest. And little did I know that right here, just about, I don't know, man, what it was like an hour and a half away from us. Yeah, pretty close. About an hour and a half away from us, there is this, like legit oh it's amazing dude and i mean it totally exceeded our expectations even from like looking at pictures online of the of the um of the place and then actually going to it and and checking it out it was unbelievable yeah it was it was really cool we we had been trying to get out there for a long time um because you know it's a little ways away but relatively Mm -hmm. close you know and apparently there's a lot of people out there that make they travel across the nation to come to this thing so um mm-hmm. you know because it's fairly local we I th- well, at least me i don't know about you but i i felt like it was a little uh it was like oh this would be a, a cool little museum but, i just thought there's going to be pamphlets and yeah me some too yeah. kind of local dude that was just like now here in these here hills of georgia we gotta be <laughs> yeah exactly I didn't know what to expect. I mean, honestly. it's it, somebody has sank some serious money into it because it it's like top of the line. Oh man, so amazing! Yeah, it's kind of like a walkthrough sort of type museum. Um, you're kind of led into these different rooms, and they have um, sort of the first room that you 
kind of go into is very it's sort of set up like a like an office of like an investigator you know so um there's a lot of like sort of specimen and there's a lot of you know there's a four foot long scat bigfoot scat even mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know why i kicked <laughs> off of that but it, it's just it like whoever put it together did a really really great job yeah it's it's just super awesome going into that room too first was hilarious because well first off you've got these cool exhibits uh on on that wall <clears throat> as you go in and and it's like a self-guided tour kind of scenario mm-hmm. and you walk in and there's you know these really cool exhibits on the wall a lot of them some of them like from local um finds in georgia uh but then others that we found later that were you know these artifacts and things that come from mm-hmm. you know these famous famous encounters <clears throat> but as we're like looking around the room and uh you know there's there's also like pieces of this helicopter from a uh a helicopter crash that happened, I think, in the '90s uh, here in North Georgia. In, in North Georgia, there's a um, uh, an army division. Uh, you know, the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a base up in the North Georgia mountains. It's where they kind of train for their mountaineering, which is actually and, right by you know my old house where I grew up. Yeah, and like survival skills and all kinds of stuff. And it's not too uncommon for us, even being south of that now, to see you know, multiple sort of uh, troop transports, helicopters flying over. Mm-hmm. And hey, if you, you know, turn up the volume loud enough, sometimes in the podcast, you can probably hear them. Yep. Uh, but anyhow, one of their helicopters crashed in the 90s and there's pieces of that helicopter. And there was a Bigfoot encounter when that happened. So it's like, it's really, really cool that they have that. And then you kind of like, you know, your eyes kind of follow along the wall. And then all of a sudden on the back wall is this gigantic... <laughs> Uh, like sculpture of a Bigfoot like family, just their heads, and and one of them. This is the funniest thing. I mean, we we laughed. I don't even know how long, and we I had immediately had to take a picture of this. There's this Bigfoot head that legit just looks like I'm staring straight in the mirror. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> w- the funny thing about Woody and I is, I mean, we've been best friends for years, and uh, I mean, we kind of have this this thing that we do where. <laughs> we'll send these pictures to each other of these just like hideous people. We'll be like, "Hey man, I found a cool picture of you." And mm-hmm. but like this one actually really does look like Woody. Man, yeah. I mean, I, I texted to my wife like right when we saw it, and she just laughed her butt off. And it was just so funny. And so I, I even texted to my uh, my parents and my brother, and I was like, "Hey man, I found uh, my long lost origins here." <clears throat> so. um but yeah, so you leave that room, you go into another one, and I won't give you a full play-by-play, but essentially yeah. every major mm-hmm. Bigfoot encounter, they have just so much information. And it's almost like a like a diorama, is that right? Yeah, like the, I mean, I the, think so. The Ape Canyon incident, for example, had, I, I had heard of it before, the Mount St. Helens uh, incident, but Woody... I don't think you would even. Yeah, I was. I was not that familiar with it, man. And we come around the corner, and there's this. It's like there, full, this, like reenactment scene, of the yeah. scene. And so I was like, Tyler, what is this? Because you see this like Bigfoot mm-hmm. uh, kind of coming into this cabin. So your 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 perspective is kind of look as if you're inside the cabin. Yeah. You're seeing all these guys like kind of around this cabin, like he's trying to get you know, through the door. Yeah. Yeah, man, and this Bigfoot's like trying to come through the door, and I was like, "Dude, what is this?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, that's Ape Canyon." Mm-hmm. And I started reading about it, and I and I thought, "Oh my gosh, dude, we have to yeah. talk about this on the podcast because one, it's terrifying, mm-hmm. 
and two, uh, it's just one of the situations that just stuck out of my head from you know, from the museum. It was like, man, it just looked amazing how they had it all set up. They also had one for, and I don't know what the name of it is. You probably do. The one where like the the young kind of college-aged kids. Um, oh, the Dyatlov Pass in Russia. Yeah, so it had like mm-hmm. a, a um, like a model of like this tent and, you know, all the footprints and stuff. And then we were also able to listen to... The Sierra Sounds. Yeah, the Sierra sounds, uh, which, which I had never heard before. Yeah, and oh my god, and man, it will literally put chills up your spine. Yeah, it's it's one of the most fascinating. I mean, they're all really fascinating on their own, and I think I think it's cool because especially at the museum, that you know, they had a lot of the really sort of interesting ones. Like there's a there's a phrase that um, Tim over at the Strange Familiars podcast uses called weird washing. You know, it's kind of like whitewashing where. Um, a lot of these stories, even the Ape Canyon incident, really, you kind of have to dig to find a lot of the more sort of esoteric, a little more, a little sort of weird um, mo- sort of bits of the story. But, um, but you know, like a, a lot of the stuff is sort of weird washed, which means they take away uh, the, maybe they had a UFO sighting the same day. Maybe they were seeing orbs. Maybe they... Uh, you know, saw an entity or a Bigfoot or whatever, and then it disappeared. Um, you know, this stuff has gone hand in hand for years. And a lot of times, especially the guys who are very into, oh, well, it's an erect uh, hominid and it's some sort of descendant of uh, Gigantopithecus. So it's basically just a monkey walking around. There's nothing else to it. The end. Um, a lot of those guys tend to sort of weird wash it where they take all that other stuff away um and i thought the cool thing about uh the museum is a lot of the the accounts and a lot of the cases that that they featured was um were some of the weirder kind of you know sort of incidents which is really cool yeah Yeah, they definitely didn't leave any detail kind of unturned man i mean i was super impressed by all of the displays and Mm -hmm. i mean like you said it's just like you and it's probably an unfair assumption on my behalf i mean like sometimes people can think of like bigfoot enthusiasts as you know kind of kooky people or something like that you know just like any of the paranormal type stuff sometimes that's just like this unfair assumption that people make and i didn't assume that necessarily i just didn't think it was going to be as good as it was, yeah. you know? I mean, it was just, I was extremely impressed. It's very cool. It's its a destination that I highly recommend for anyone, not only that lives in Georgia, but, you know, anywhere yeah. you are, come and check this museum out. It's very cool. The people there, that work there are very, very nice. And um, it's just a really, really neat, cool place to, to visit. Yeah, and, and also I, I would venture to say, just because it's local, you know, fairly local for us. I would also sort of venture to say that I can't think of another, you know, museum that's dedicated to Bigfoot that would be even remotely close mm-hmm. to being as nice and as put together. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It really is a great, I mean, if you're even kind of into, uh, you know, Sasquatch or Bigfoot or whatever, it's definitely worth worth the trip. Yeah, you'll you'll totally enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, our our ultimate goal is to take our uh, our friends from Bigfoot Collectors Club. Yeah, and uh, once this pandemic thing's done, 
they fly out here and we we take them up to the uh, to the museum. Oh yeah, and uh, for sure that'd be really cool. Yeah, dude, we got to get into this uh, this Abe Canyon incident. I mean, well, there's a couple things. Let let me ask you this: mm-hmm. Have you ever like been camping or whatever and just heard crazy stuff? Anyway, I mean, oh yeah, any of your yeah, I mean, like I've had like a handful of experiences where you know. <clears throat> you hear crazy stuff in the middle of the night and you're like, your brain is trying to figure out, okay, uh, is that an owl? Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't yeah. really sound like an owl. I mean, the last time I went camping with my family, now keep in mind, my wife, first off, I'm an avid like camper. I've loved, I've hiked the Appalachian Trail, not the whole thing, but you know, segments of it. And my wife is, uh, well, she's not really into camping, but I have convinced her that once a year, uh, <laughs> That me and she, you know she'll come with the kids and we'll go camping. Uh, so the first time we did that, um, of course, like I wanted everything to just work out yeah. perfectly because at this point I want to be able to convince her for future trips and to make it easier and her you know get into it and and that kind of thing. So I've got it all planned out. I go you know whatever. And this is like several years ago, so the kids are even younger. Which um, if I could make any advice to anybody with youngsters <laughs> do just not like wait until they're at least like five or six before you take them because like yeah. our youngest was like two. Oh. oh man it was a nightmare <clears throat> yeah so in the middle of the night we hear i mean especially now after hearing the sierra sounds i'm not sure what we heard <laughs> it wasn't an owl mm-hmm. it wasn't a dog it was just something crazy as <laughs> and and it was kind of uh, like a far distance from us. But then we heard dogs kind of reacting to the sound. Mm-hmm. And so it was so loud that it like woke us all up. And of course, like our two year, she was two at the time. She starts like fussing. And we're like, no, you got to be quiet because we're trying to listen to see if this creature is coming to you. It's coming to us, yeah. you know? And it's like two in the morning. And needless to say, we didn't really get a lot of rest that night. And uh, long story short, my wife was like, we're not going camping again mm-hmm. until she is five, you know? Yeah. So anyways, like imagine you and your buddies are on this expedition to go and get gold. You know, this is a, um, and even if nobody's ever been to like Oregon or Washington or that Pacific Northwest area, I mean, it's impressive. You know, if you're, if you are from Southern California and you've never been up that direction or you're from Texas and, uh, you're used to like, you know, mesquite trees and stuff, or you're from Georgia and used to, you're used to tall pines, all of that stuff pales in comparison to the wilderness and just the, the, the massive expanse of just humongous trees and wildlife and stuff that's out there. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and so like, if you can picture that scene in your head, you're just, in the middle of this wilderness that's ne- never kind of it, human eyes have never probably laid eyes yeah. on what you're seeing that that's the amazing part too is like mm-hmm. i think as you're painting a picture you sh- it, it's it's good to realize too that i mean you know even if you went out there now you would have this but i mean this was back in 1924 this is long mm-hmm. before the term sasquatch this is long before yeah. i mean granted um, like the Indians and the natives of the of all, all over the mm-hmm. country have you know stories of of these you know these wild men or mm-hmm. you know they would call them wild men back in the day um, and um, 
yeah, I mean, 1924. So they're in an area that probably only only they have ever seen. Yeah, I mean, it, you you walk into an area like that. I mean, that number one nowadays is such a unique experience um, to to kind of even have mm-hmm. that it's one of the reasons why I kind of want to instill you know well obviously respect for the wilderness but also like venturing out into it uh, you know with my kids as long as you do it safely yeah it's just it's very neat you're you're sometimes walking where you know humanity hasn't really uh, there's not a lot of high traffic there you know yeah. and so to experience that is just it's phenomenal and like these guys are trying to make a living they are trying to find gold and then just being so kind of far away from town um you know if some you know what hits the fan i'm sure they weren't expecting just this barrage attack of these uh what they consider to be ape men mm-hmm. um to happen i mean can you imagine just how terrifying Oh yeah, that would be well. And, and another interesting thing too is, you know, uh, before all this went down, Fred Beck is kind of the the central figure in this. He's the guy who kind of came out and started talking about it due to his son sort of trying to pull it out of him. And um, and I think his son actually released the story in '67. You know, he he had a, a really bad toothache, and he was trying to get back into town. Um, and if you've ever had like a toothache. Um, Thomas, I'm talking to you, our old drummer. Um, mm-hmm. If you've ever had a toothache, I mean, I don't care how tough you are. I mean, it can it can drop you, you know. So he was trying to get back. They were so far out. Um, and then one of the other dudes, uh, you know, which is an interesting quote, uh, one of the other guys said, uh, neither God nor the devil could take me off this mountain. Because, he, yeah. you know, at the time, they're, they're mining for gold, so you kind of get that gold fever, you know? So he's like, I don't care if my friends doubled over in pain from a toothache, you know, God or the devil can't take me away from this. That was one of those lines that that stuck out to me as well. Another thing that, you know, from the story, I kind of did a little more digging into Fred Beck and um, he was kind of an interesting character. And again, you know, going back to uh, that phrase, weird washing, you know, a lot of this stuff was sort of lost to history unless you really kind of dig. So he was a guy that his whole life, he kind of claimed that he had, you know, spirit guides or angels, or he called the masters, um, you know, since he was a boy. Even as a boy, he apparently he had lost a toy, and it had been lost for years, but was approached by, by a woman, which later he, you know, hindsight 2020, he looked back on as like, well, you know, maybe she was like a spirit guide. Maybe she wasn't even a real woman, but mm-hmm. she said that he would find it again several years later, three or four years later. And, you know, exactly as she said, he ended up finding it. But it's really cool because the site that this was actually on, well, the area that it, it was originally, the, the area that they were at was called the Plains of Abraham. And the reason it's called Ape Canyon was because that's what, after they came out with the story, you know, it was kind of renamed as Ape Canyon because of, you know, they called it an ape man because, you know, it was mm-hmm. a seven foot tall, you know, ape man back in the day. And again, this is this is long before the term Sasquatch or Bigfoot or any of that um, ha- had reached the zeitgeist of the American public, you know. But um, he, you know, he found the site because... Again, he said that he had these spirit guides, and he said, 
uh, one of the names of his spirit guide that he had had like throughout his whole life. And again, I don't know if this is called, this is something that he named this, this entity or whatever, or if, you know, that's what it told him its name was, but apparently it was called Vandergriff White. And hmm. that was actually what he renamed the actual, you know, the cabin and the site, the, you know, the, the actual site of the, of the incident and everything. Um, and the way that he found that was he said that a glowing arrow as they were walking, you know, through the woods to kind of find, I guess there were certain markers that, that miners would look for, you know, for these veins of gold. But um, he said that a glowing arrow led him, you know, to where they would find gold. And the arrow came out of a door that opened up in the sky. He also believed that the ape men, he later said, and I, and I think this was sort of in retrospect, you know, after a few years of like sort of looking back on it, but it says that he believed the eight men and UFOs because that was another thing. He he would he also saw several sort of lights in the sky, um, which later he would say were, you know, UFOs, especially if this came out in 1967, uh, this whole part of the story, um, you know, that was the height of the UFO kind of craze. So, um, you know, he said that he saw all these things and he believed that the ape men and UFOs uh, were both inter interdimensional entities and could really only be seen if you had a higher level of consciousness. Um, hmm. So it's really cool. And I like, you know, I, I think a lot of people could look at that and think, well, you know, he was a weirdo and he had all these sort of, you know, crazy ideas and spirit guys and stuff. And it would sort of delegitimize his story, but to me, it kind of like even sort of solidifies the story a little because, again, this is back in 1924, and yeah, you know, there's the spiritualist movement, you know, was kind of heavy around that era, but it, but some of the things that he said were definitely not of the times, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and what's interesting to me too, man, is I think it's being on the East Coast here and mm -hmm. having a little bit like a different um, Native American culture and and uh, lore and stuff that we experience. I think, you know, maybe an interesting thought is like, I think maybe people out there in that Pacific Northwest, they're, they're more accustomed to things like that, like spirit guides. Oh, and yeah. Even kind of digging into that lore mm -hmm. and they'll have more experience with it just in their just sort of blended cultures. Right. Um, and so it might not sound as crazy to them, but for us, like on the East Coast, and this is Bible know, in different areas of the country. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, it might be like, well, you know, I mean, gosh, um, this guy's talking about aliens, interdimensional creatures, and Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. It kind of, you know, it might be easy to kind of write write him off, like you said, as as a uh, as like a crazy person. But you know, <clears throat> it's it's funny because I never really knew or even associated any kind of connection. This is very new to me as well. Mm -hmm. So some of you listeners thinking, well, okay, this is about Bigfoot. And then all of a sudden now you hear Tyler talking about interdimensional creatures and glowing arrows and stuff. Yeah. And there's like, there is a, uh, a faction, I guess, of belief and or just a kind of interest or study about the possibility that Bigfoot is an interdimensional or even maybe extraterrestrial kind of 
creature being, you know? And yeah. um, so that's an interesting thing that, that before I would say until the past six months or so, I had no, I had no idea or prior experience to, uh, to hearing anything about that, you know? Yeah. I mean, to me, that's the thing that, and again, a lot of those, and it's the same in like the UFO community where, you know, you have your guys who are very, what they call like the nuts and bolts guys, where all UFOs are, you know, metallic, structures with anti-gravitic mm-hmm. or uh some sort of technology yeah and electromagnetic you know or even sound or whatever but like it's it's like oh these are these are tangible things that we can you figure know, out study out. yeah we can figure out we can we can take and then back engineer and and they're all tangible things and I think for the longest time I think all of us probably come from that and it's the same with Bigfoot where they where you you start your baseline, you start out as, you know, believing that. Like, okay, well, Bigfoot, he's a corporeal, you know, uh, remnant of Gigantopithecus. He's an ape. Mm-hmm. And and maybe he is, but it mm-hmm. is weird and it is fascinating. And this is the thing that, like, keeps me kind of coming back. I mean, I love the the idea that, I you know, I, I'm not opposed to the idea that it's uh, a, or like a relict hominid and it's mm-hmm. a real live thing. But at the same time, once you kind of look into it and once you kind of let down your guard and, and let go of that, um, sort of the dogma behind that, I mean, almost every single one of these cases are also the, the, the sightings that people sort of experience, glowing orbs, the whole forest, like just going like mm-hmm. dead quiet. You know, which could link to infrasound, or it could link to sort of a more of a paranormal sort of, you know, metaphysical type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's wild. I mean, it, another thing too about this case, which is interesting, is after these messages, we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You were listening to That Would Be Rad. You know, once this case kind of came out, I think one of the paper kind of did their due, due diligence and um, 
and had kind of asked some of the local natives of the area, because this was around like Mount St. Helens. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you know, but I mean, Mount St. Helens is, is, is just... An active volcano. Well, it's an active volcano, but it has had sightings of lights, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of strange sort of paranormal phenomenon, mm-hmm. you know, for years and years and years. And even the, the Spokane Indians um, around that area would say, you know, I mean, and, and again, this this came out in 1924, so we're talking the natives from far, far, far back, even from then, would tell these stories of, um, you know, these, these and, and this is another thing that I think is interesting, is they, they classified these quote-unquote wild men as like, oh, well, they're, they're just another Indian tribe, but they said, yeah, there, there was this other tribe of Indians that were covered in fur, and they would leave... 18 inch tracks so they were just giants you know Mm. and that's 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 fascinating to me Mm -hmm. and just just to for everybody listening to in case you think um well i was gonna say in case you think tyler is just like believe it all kind of person he's about 99.9 percent that but there's still (laughs) there's still like a percentage like even when we were in the museum there would be like a casting of you know like a bigfoot that somebody found and some of them yeah. would be like, mm, that looks a little fake, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it is, I think, sometimes it's a little much for me, some of the stuff. But I think the important thing, like we always kind of talk about, is it's a super rad way of looking at something that we've all kind of been, I mean, you know, go, rewind back to our childhood. Mm-hmm. We all saw Harry and the Hendersons, oh, yeah. right? And uh, you go back and you watch it and it's like, man, you know, I made my kids watch it and they thought it was hilarious. And, uh, you know, we're accustomed to the legends and the stories and it's just super interesting to think about. And like you said, you know, one of the first things that, that any of us do is we kind of try to use our own life experience, our own knowledge to try to explain any kind of phenomenon. Yeah, right? right. I mean, it, anything, whether it's something that's miraculous that happens, you're in your mind going to try to rationalize how and why that happened. Mm-hmm. And the same is true for things like Bigfoot and all that. I always come back to the fact that, you know, going back to that episode that we talked about cryptids and like the cryptids 101 thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I sent you something over the weekend about this like deep sea fish. And it's just like this picture of it oh, because yeah. our technology keeps on getting better, our ability to reach unreachable places keeps on getting better and the creatures that they're discovering not just in the ocean but just you know outside in the wilderness Mm -hmm. are just so fascinating and so for for people to completely write off the idea that there's stuff that exists out there that we haven't discovered yet is just a shame yeah you know you're kind of um doing yourself a disservice anything else i guess that you want i mean i think it's important to note too this area uh where the cabin was and stuff i think i remember i read that you know i want to say that the mount st helens eruption in oh yeah um, how it destroyed possibly could have destroyed yeah where that cabin is and then that whole area kind of looks a lot different than it did well back in 1924 well also you know, once this came out in the news, the the guys that were in the event never quite, they never totally said exactly where it was at. So that's why you would have a ton of people out there, you know, trying to find a cabin. And, um, mm-hmm. 
I think the I think Fred Beck even said that to his knowledge nobody had found it yet. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. But you know the general area um, of like where they think Ape Canyon was. I, like you said, I think I think one of the eruptions uh, sort of you know kind of destroyed where that cabin. Mm-hmm. Would have yeah, been. so I looked at it's March twenty seventh, nineteen eighty. So right in our uh, in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a couple months before I was born. But yeah, I, I think it's an interesting case. You know, I think all the weird stuff is cool. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's a book that I'm probably going to buy us both a copy of. I mentioned the Strange Familiars podcast. Uh, a guy named Timothy Renner and another guy named Joshua Cutchin have written a book. Um, it's well, it's two books actually. It's two parts, but, um, where the footprints end, it's just amazing. It, all these podcasts that I'm, that I listen to, you know, they, they kind of go into the more sort of, I guess, kind of esoteric, uh, side of, of, you know, Bigfoot or, you know, these kind of sightings, man, lately in this past year, I feel like almost every single one I've listened to has referenced these books. So congrats on that guys so what are the what are the names of the books again so it's um part one and part two or yeah i think there's there, there's two parts and both of them are called uh where the footprints end okay. because that's that's another sort of account you know when you have these you know sightings of bigfoot or they find these i believe there was one in canada or maybe northern u.s where there was a huge snow and a guy had found almost like 150 feet worth of tracks. And then, and keep in mind, this is like fresh snow, super deep. You know, you're out in the middle of an area or or like a trail or something. And then all of a sudden the footprints just completely end, which I don't know about you, but for me, that's not a, I don't care how advanced, you know, an ape is, or I don't care if it is some sort of like caveman type thing. That's not something that that they can pull off, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's sort of where the title comes from, I presume. Yeah, where the footprints end. Joshua Cutchin, Cutchin, who is a great uh, writer, he's written a Trojan Feast, a Brimstone Deceit. But anyway, he's a great writer. And then the Strange Familiars podcast host, uh, Timothy Renner, he's the co-writer on this too. They both. Uh, collaborated and made these books. So everything that I hear about it, it's, you know, right up our alley. So cool. I think we'll probably read that and then maybe we can do a deep dive, uh, a full mm-hmm. episode on it. Yeah, I mean, I think this, you know, we we wanted to kind of treat this one as kind of like our entry point into kind of talking about that stuff mm-hmm. a little bit more this year. And really, again, because it was just super fascinating from the second that I saw the um, kind of diorama or whatever you want to call it oh, there yeah. at the Bigfoot Museum. Mm-hmm. Well, you got anything else, bro? I feel like we went down several rabbit trails. No, man. I mean, I think that's a. I think that is a good way to kind of kickstart the um, the conversation about Bigfoot. Yeah, and um, I'm interested to hear folks' thoughts about you know what they think about Bigfoot. Do they think it's just a um, you know, a complete sham. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they have any interest in in um, encountering? Do they have any encounter stories? Oh um, yeah, you know, I'd love to hear about that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I think that uh, if if any of you guys out there, any of our listeners, if you have any topics that you want us to talk about, you know, we've had several and um, a lot of cool stuff that we plan on hitting. But you know, if if you know of you know, some sort of paranormal encounter or, I mean, really anything, anything that this podcast covers, feel free because you may be into something that 
that we've never heard of. And uh, yeah, we'd love to uh, to check it out. So we need to start getting into um, the fantasy movies, man, that we talked about. Oh man, are we gonna are we gonna kick it off? We're we gonna tell them about it. Oh, side note, a little bit of uh, be kind rewind. Uh, Clay, our listener, our loyal listener. I knew that I had made this mistake a long time ago when I was talking about the fantasy movie Fire and Ice. I said mm-hmm. that it was a Frank Thorne film. Uh, it's actually Ralph Bakshi, which I knew about, Clay. I <laughs> Thank you for, for reminding me. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. Yes, yeah, so, well, I'm just saying this. Next week, we're going to we're gonna pit two of those movies against each other. We'll announce what those two movies are. Mm-hmm on our Instagram, so you have to go there to figure that Mm -hmm. out and to find out what they are. Then, individually, we're going to watch these fantasy movies and decide from those two which one kind of makes it on to the next uh, round. Oh, Essentially, what we're doing is we're building a bracket, much like the... uh, Sort of like Sweet 16. Yeah, like the... the, um, Sort of like March Madness, basically. Yeah, March Madness, Mm -hmm. but with old 80s... Fantasy movies. Now, the criteria was, of course, that they had to be made in the 80s, mm-hmm. which kind of, you know, um, took out a couple of the potential competitors like the movie Excalibur because I think it came out in the 70s. Um, oh, that's right. I recently got a copy of that on VHS. And, um, Is it cool? I'm pretty ex- Well, I'm, I haven't watched it yet, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty excited to kind of get back into it, especially now that we're, you know, super into D&D. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, folks. We're not going to go into D and D today. <laughs> oh, speaking of uh, speaking of which, I was waiting to even tell you this. I actually rewatched The Last Unicorn on HBO Max the other day. Yeah. Wait, is that did that make that made it to our list? I think it's on the list. Yeah, so I'll wait. I'll hold off. We'll wait, talk about it. Just wait because I need to watch it too. I will say this though: there's a character called the Red Bull, and I'd never known this before. Here we go. I'd never known this, so I'm wondering if that's where. Red Bull kind of gets its got their inspiration. its name and inspiration. Yeah, hmm. interesting. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited because look, in October, the whole month of October. In fact, I think I started in September. All I watched was like old '80s horror mm-hmm. movies. Then, oh, yeah. towards the beginning of November, all the way through until like the end of Christmas, mm-hmm. it was all Christmas movies. So now I'm like, okay, I need to take a break from all that stuff, and I want to get into you know the fantasy movies and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. Also, we're really into D&D again, and uh, <laughs> we got our next game. Uh, well, when you hear this... Just in a couple of days. This will have been the previous Saturday, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I think these people probably have other things that they need to get accomplished today. Yeah. So why don't we just say this? Why don't we say thank you guys so much for listening week after week, coming back, interacting with us on our Instagram page, which is at that would be rad. Mm-hmm. And especially for those of you that have been buying our merchandise. Yeah. Holy moly. Man alive. I mean, boy, howdy. It's uh, it's just flying off the shelves. The good news is um, everything's still in stock. So if you are looking for a killer T-shirt, mm-hmm. sweatshirt, did I say it right that time? Or sweater, as Woody says in the last. <laughs> or like a hoodie, a hat, whatever. We've got you, we've got you taken care yeah. of. You know, so, um, you know, just thank you to everybody that has, um, you know, began to support the podcast in that way. Yeah, and, uh, you know, as always, if you have anything to say to us, 
uh, like what he said, uh, that would be rad um, on Instagram. You know, shoot us a DM. Um, or if you have a more lengthy, you know, topic you want to send us, uh, feel free to email us at thatwouldberadpod at gmail.com. So we appreciate you. We thank you so much for coming back week after week. You know, we wouldn't be able to do this without you. And um, yeah, so we love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be rad. That's the way Yeah.